Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about a difficult subject, something that most of us have experienced, or if we haven't, will at some point in our lives be touched by trauma. We're talking about being invisibly wounded and new frontiers in healing trauma. My first guest today is Dr. Guy McPherson, PhD. He is a husband, father of two, and holds a doctorate in clinical psychology. He has spent the last several years studying the impact and treatment of trauma and early psychosis. In 2014, Guy founded the Trauma Therapist Project, with the goals of raising awareness of trauma and creating an educational and supportive community for new trauma workers. The Trauma Therapist Project has now grown to include the Trauma Therapist Podcast, now being listened to in more than 160 countries around the world, as well as Trauma Therapist 2.0, an online membership community specifically dedicated to educating and inspiring trauma workers just starting out on their trauma-informed journey. Welcome, Guy. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness. Awesome, Lisa. Thanks so much. That was an amazing introduction. Congrats for uh, putting that together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is our amazing producer, Andrea Mingeli. I'm bowing to her, doing a virtual bow. She makes us shine each and every week here, whether or not I'm feeling like I'm shining. But, (laughs) you know, let's you and I have something in common. um, And that is uh, besides sharing um, podcasts, each that we have a podcast, but it's this trauma work. And many people don't realize that I spend uh, many of my days working in addiction and trauma recovery. And there is um, a unique calling to working with trauma. Talk a little bit about your experience. Yeah, that is a great question. And uh, you've basically just opened up the door um, uh, because there's so much that can be said about that. But personally, uh, you know, when I was younger, (laughs) and a lot of this that I'm going to say wasn't really conscious, I think, until I started getting into a specific point. But just to give you guys some context, early on when I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, I had been bullied. And that traumatic experience, and it definitely was a traumatic experience, really shifted the trajectory of my life, you know, relationships, how I perceived them, how I perceived myself and self-esteem. And just to take an aside here, I think it's really important to point out or even to define what trauma is. And a, a lot of people think or associate trauma with PTSD and, and, and hence combat veterans, right? Who maybe experience IEDs or combat uh, trauma or, or have combat experience, but there are other kinds and um, bullying can be one of them. 
Um, interpersonal trauma can be one of them. Abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, all these things can be, and I think it's important to emphasize, you know, that, that, that phraser, it can be traumatic. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, what I got to, so th- that, that experience really was an engine. It was, uh, it, it gave me this kind of backbone and, and fire that I really didn't realize or it didn't attribute to that. So when I got to graduate school, I knew I wanted to focus on trauma. When I got out of college, sorry, I'm jumping around here, but it's it, it kind of feeds out like tributaries, you know, it, effect, it impacts a lot of things. When I got out of uh, college, I was uh, in art school and I dropped out after a year and I was uh, got into music. Uh, for a while. Then I started writing fiction and I was writing about these characters who were focused and who were pursuing their, uh, their heart in a sense. And after uh, a little while, maybe this is now 15 years ago, I was done writing for the day where I was writing fiction. I was sitting in my room and a phone, the phone rings. And Lisa, it had been this woman that I had been working with. I had known maybe a year prior we had worked with. And it turned out that she was calling all of her friends to let them know that she had AIDS. She had been living with it for nine years, hadn't told anyone. And she was basically calling to say goodbye. And the courage in her voice, the strength in her voice uh, was just incredible to me. It was so inspiring, so much so that when I hung up the phone, I felt, like her voice, that experience was like this flaming telephone pole from my chest, making me realize that I didn't have that strength. I didn't have that courage and I needed to find it for myself. Mm. It kind of gave me this like existential, uh, fire. And I started taking these, um, trips, survival courses and, and, um, uh, mountain climbing things that for me, I felt I needed to find my courage. And on one of these was this survival course. And it was like 14 days out in the middle of nowhere uh, with the Boulder outdoor uh, school of survival. And one of the the guys on this trip, there was like 15 of us with three guides. One of the, one of the other guys got really super sick and the guides stay back they were kind of waiting for the other members to step up and we didn't know this of course but at that time myself and this other girl this woman actually we we carried this guy we encouraged him we supported him for like three days and that was the moment where i was like this is what i want to do i want to help people in in this position in dire situations so i went back and i got my ba then i went back to graduate school and around the same time, my brother came back from Iraq with PTSD, jacked up. I didn't know what was going on with him. But that experience really made me, uh, and other, other more specifically subsequent experiences, made me want to raise the awareness of trauma and, and, and more specifically help newer trauma workers, people who are just getting into this field. Yeah. You know, I love you sharing your story because as you're talking about the woman who called you to say goodbye, I was closing my eyes and listening to your description and going, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get I get how that could be such a strong catalyst. And I get how when you went on the survival program that watching um, the group and being part of a group that helped this person move through from illness and maybe not being able to go on to somehow, you know, the resiliency of the human spirit and through the encouragement and connection of the group rebounded. Right, right, and I think that's right. what the work is about. I mean, that's what trauma therapy and trauma recovery is. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, a lot of the people who get into this field, not surprisingly, I mean, like you said uh, at the top, right? Many, if not most people have experienced uh, a certain type of trauma or trauma. And I think it's, again, important to put, uh, like many things, just put trauma on a continuum, right? There are little ones and big ones. And um, most of the people who get into the field, yeah, have experienced trauma. And how uh, trauma workers, therapists, I'll use trauma workers uh, as the term here, how trauma workers 
explore and are willing to explore their own past and their own history and their own experiences to befriend them, to, to dance with them, if you will, openly, right, will determine their level of effectiveness when working with someone else. Because if you're not looking at your own stuff, right, if you're not willing to do that or acknowledge that, and for a time I wasn't, if you're not willing to do that, that stuff's going to come up when you're working with someone. Of course it will. Yeah. I'm shaking my head as you're talking about the willingness and and I want to bring up the concept of self-disclosure because many of us have been trained in graduate school that you don't disclose your story that you know you're really there holding space for the client and I I really challenge that because without self-disclosing on an appropriate level that you have been through something that allows you to connect with that person when they are experiencing the dark nights of the soul, how can you heal? Right, right, right. And you can't, right? Yeah, right. You can't. (laughs) That word I just want to pull out there, I think it's really important, appropriately. Of course, this has to be done appropriately and with boundaries and with ethics. Yes, Um, yes. As as everything, you know, I'm sure you're talking about on the show. But, um, you know, and, and Lisa, something happened to me when I started doing my podcast and interviewing people. Because when I went to graduate school, I was... 36. I was, you know, older. I had (laughs) kind of been around the block, you know, I had been in therapy, uh, loved it, got a lot out of it. I had initially gone in for anxiety. And of course, other things pop up and you're like, oh, that's happening too, you know, but I was getting a lot out of it. And so when I got to graduate school, I thought, oh, I I kind of have some stuff figured out. So to the degree that all I wanted or all all I was asking for, hungry for, was like, what's the book, the trauma book I need to read that's going to do it for me? What's that article uh, by Bessel van der Kolk? What what workshop do I need to attend? Because that other stuff, I've got it. And man, was I way off base and deluded because I didn't realize how important who one is, who you are, who I am to that process. And, and, you know, what you're saying about self-disclosing really for me, it's being oneself, you know, showing up, being willing to do that. And again, that's not always easy. It seems so easy, but it's not always easy. It's not. We're going to need to go to a break in a minute or two. And I think it's this notion of authenticity and the the oh so fashionable uh, vulnerability word is um, part of what is the requirement to do the trauma work, both as the practitioner, you know, the worker and as the client slash patient. And it's scary stuff, right? It's like, you know, when I wear my heart on my sleeve and I expose myself to you, you have me at my weakest, which is also at my most strong, if that makes sense, right? It works inversely. Right. And I think one of the uh, reasons why it's so difficult, I mean, for the the, uh, trauma worker, is it that almost demands them, I was going to use the word invite, but it more so demands them to confront who they are, their experiences, whether they've had certain traumatic experiences that will come up, you know, triggers will happen. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't dealt with them, as, as one of my guests said, you know, you have to make sure whose issues you're working on when you're working with someone, because if it's your own, then you're in the wrong room. Right. Yeah. The other the other way that this is presents itself as as challenging is when one's working with individuals who've been impacted by trauma, especially interpersonal trauma, that authenticity, that choice, that respect is exactly what's been ripped from them. Mm, There is the magic. Let's let's pause for a second. Do the break. Come back. Dive in again to learn more about Dr. Guy McPherson, please visit thetraumatherapistproject.com. On Twitter, he is at Guy C. McPherson. And on Facebook, Guy McPherson, PhD. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to the break, I want to talk with you about the joys of healthy eating. One of my go-to happy snacks is created by today's show sponsor, Rx Bar. RX Bar has built a better whole food protein bar and lets its core ingredients do all the talking, with them listed on the front of the packaging. 
Each bar contains deliciously blended ingredients like egg whites, fruits, nuts, unsweetened chocolate, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon that add big taste to every bite. It's clean and simple, portable nutrition that's great for our busy lifestyles. RX bars come in 14 delicious flavors, including sweet, savory, chocolate, or fruit. There are even seasonal flavors, too. There's an RX bar with your name on it that will satisfy your on-the-go hunger. My new favorite is chocolate sea salt. I keep them in my purse and in the car. There's no added sugar, gluten, soy, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. This means yummy, clean, and nutritious fuel in every bite. And here's the best part. As a listener of Harvesting Happiness, you will receive 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness and be sure to enter the promo code harvestinghappiness at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness. And don't forget to use the promo code harvestinghappiness. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are we happy yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Hey ladies, before we return to the conversation, I want to talk with you about bra shopping. It's a drag. There's always lots of trial and error and even then the perfect fit can be elusive. What if you could skip the trip to the mall and find the perfect bra in minutes? I'm a loyal third love customer who shops from the privacy and comfort of my own home. It's true, it's true. I wear third love bras because they fit like a dream. It all starts with third love's online fit finder quiz, helping to identify your breast size and shape and recommends the perfect bra style that fits right for your body. Did you know that 50% of all women fall between standard cup sizes? They're so obsessed with finding that perfect fit that third love invented half cup sizing. What I really love about Third Love is the comfort, fit guarantee, and rock star customer service. If something's not right, you can send it back. No hassle returns and exchanges are always free and easy. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com happiness to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. Once again, that's thirdlove.com happiness for 15% off today. Now let's get back to the conversation. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about wholeness and healing of the invisible wounds that we as human beings experience. No matter what, we all want to live happy, joyful lives. And here's the reality, friends, is that in order to experience happiness, we also need to be willing to experience and embrace the hard things, the bad things that happen to us. And find our way back home to ourselves. And my guest today is helping others do just that, Dr. Guy McPherson, who is the founder of the Trauma Therapist Project. He also has a podcast of his very own on the same same subject matter, and he is in the house, and we're continuing our conversation. So, Guy, let's refine the definition of trauma a little bit 
further for people because many people will say trauma, trauma, you know, I haven't had any trauma in my life. What are some other areas that we can look at that might um, amplify or shed a light on uh, sweet spots or soft spots? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think it's important to state that uh, a lot of people have different definitions of it. A lot of very well-known, uh, recognized researchers in the field have uh, different definitions of trauma. I think one that many people settle on is an experience that really impacts an individual's nervous system so much so that it negatively impacts their their lives, their ability to be, quote unquote, themselves, to kind of maintain a certain sense of normality. Um, a lot of times uh, this can manifest in depression or anxiety. Um, and a lot of times, you know, people, like you said, don't recognize that certain situations or experiences can be traumatic. For example, you know, I talked about my own experience being bullied. A lot of people put that off as, well, that's kids being kids, or that's part of growing up, or I just got a flash of the whole Me Too movement, too, and how people treat other people. But it's important to realize, too, that another person could have experienced the same thing as I did and not have been impacted, not have been traumatized. That's a a very important uh, distinction as well. But in terms of, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no, I was going to say that that not that we don't respond to the same things in the same way, and and everybody has a different little marker for what that stuff, the baggage, is, and how it gets activated. You know, from right. experiences later on in life. You know, one of the things that I like to say is that a trauma response is a very natural way to respond to unnatural amounts of stress. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good distinction as well. When you're talking about trauma on kind of the higher end of the continuum, um, post-traumatic stress disorder on one hand, the body, uh, this is another important point too, that the trauma is stored in the body. It's in, for example, you know, people hear about uh, fight, flight, and submit. Um, Peter Levine, the you know well-known trauma researcher and uh, tra- trauma therapist, um, did a lot of work on a lot of research on how animals respond to trauma. You know, they're able to kind of uh, after they get into fights or attack, they're able to either run away or they're able to shake it off. And a lot of times, when individuals get Um, threatened or whatnot and aren't able to run away, aren't able to discharge that trauma. It's stored, literally stored in the body. And what happens when, when something like that, which jacks up your whole nervous system, people manif- people have different symptoms. They get anxious. They, uh, get depressed. People who are in school, kids who are in school start to act out or they isolate or they start to cut. You know, all these huge amount of symptoms, which oftentimes go under the radar and maybe are just classified as, you know, bad behavior and so forth. And the self-medication, you know, the desire to numb, to push back or, or tamp down those feelings, which are so scary to express because, oh boy, if you open Pandora's box... There's right. no going back. Right, right. And it just reminded me of um, you know, the, the, the well-known um, uh, physician, Gabor Mate, who's big mm. in the addiction field. You know, he says, you know, we, where you see addiction, there is trauma. You know, inevitably, there's always trauma there. And that can mean many different things for, for people. You know, again, it's important to, re- again, just to reiterate, people, a lot of people don't, understand that what can impact you or what can be traumatizing to you doesn't necessarily have to be traumatizing to me. In my most recent uh, clinical position, I'm no longer uh, working with with clients, but I was working in a clinic and we were assessing and treating kids who were showing early signs of psychosis and not surprisingly, there was trauma all over the place. But we would get these uh, referral calls, Lisa, you know, teachers would call in or parents would call in and about their kid who was, wasn't doing well in school and things have been changing and they've been having these certain symptoms. And 99.999% of the time, there was trauma. And people 
you know, abu- verbal abuse, right? Interpersonal abuse, witnessing to a domestic violence, being in a situation uh, where you're uh, witness to or you're hearing something can be traumatizing. And that was one of the things that I said to myself, what is going on? You know, this is just happening all the time. And then, you know, two weeks later, of course, the kid comes in for an assessment and it's a kid. It's just yeah. a little kid. You know, it's not some monster or some – it's just a kid. You know, they've got their notebook or their book and they're just chilling. It's, <laughs> it's some, always somebody's baby. You know, when, yeah. when, I, when I work with clients, that's what I say to myself. Like I prepare – like go into this p- place of preparing myself like that person that's going to walk through the door or walk into this group is someone's child. Right. And – that changes everything for me. I mean, that softens my heart and makes me um, uh, open to the the spirit or the soul of that person, which is not their trauma. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that. It just made me think of, uh, I hold this concept of what I call the trauma circle. In other words, you know, when I was working with people or even, even in a sense talking to someone, I imagine myself and this other person, if they're sitting across from me or even uh, on the other end of a microphone, whatever, and there's a circle that's uh, kind of holding us and being willing to enter into that takes courage. You know, being willing to to listen to someone, being willing to witness their one story and the telling of their story takes uh, courage. You know, again, at the top of the, the, the show, you talked about in terms of calling for me that that's what it is being willing to do that but it it does take a lot of courage to walk with somebody you have to be stable yourself and then say to the other person i am here to walk with you and i will i will hold space for you and help keep you safe while you figure this out you are not alone right and there's so much power to that you know, it, it seems so simple. Uh, <laughs> it, it does. Right. And to, to be able to do that without uh, being pulled to fix, without being pulled to cure, right. Without being pulled to take away someone else's pain. You know, as one of my other guests has said, um, when we do that, when someone does that, you're taking away their own journey. The, the, you're disempowering them, right? It's not my job. And a lot of us get into this field because maybe we've understood through different experiences and relationships that we have a, a positive effect or we can help or it does feel good when people uh, talk to us or share things. But in, in this context, in a context where a trauma worker is working with a client, that has to be almost juggled, right? There's a, there's a tightrope that has to be walked very delicately because a client, someone who's been traumatized, again, is completely disempowered. And in order to get that back, in order to, to lay out that carpet, that has to be modeled, right? That there, therein lies the power of the therapeutic relationship. Yeah. And, you know, you, you go back to the moniker of trauma worker. A trauma worker does not necessarily need to have a Ph.D. There are plenty of people out there in the world who are trauma workers and don't even know it. You know, the hairdressers, the, the yoga teachers, you know, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's it, bartenders. I mean, there are people with to whom we bear our souls that don't necessarily have the credential after their name. And uh, to be informed, to be sensitive to the how right to show up yeah 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 good point i mean when i was in still in graduate school and i was in one of my uh, internships you know i was doing a lot of commuting and I, you know i i would come back i would be in the car for like an hour and a half each way literally and I, during that time i would be thinking about clients and wondering what the heck i'm doing i don't know what i'm doing why am i doing this i shouldn't be doing this and at the same time i was listening to podcasts with entrepreneurs being interviewed and they were just, you know, doing amazing things with their lives. And I kind of said to myself, what if I did my own podcast and I interviewed, you know, master trauma therapists to help newer therapists? And what happened was, Lisa, is people started calling me who weren't, like you said, they weren't therapists or psychologists, but they were yogis or people who had been, uh, did a film or documentary to support other people. So you're right. It's not 
you don't have to have a PhD, but they're counselors or social workers or whatever. And yeah, that that's why I use that that term trauma worker because it's not uh, it, it can be a yogi. Yeah, you know. So I get it. I get it. And 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 that yogi needs to be informed in how he or she conducts a class, how he or she touches or doesn't touch, or the positions he or she asks the group to to hold, to get into, you know? And I, I think maybe that's the thing is that what you're offering to your listeners and to people who are part of your platform is an awareness of not only how to work with this population, but also to recognize the vulnerabilities within themselves. Well, you just said it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And that's that. That's you know to do that to create a. I think uh, that whole point about vulnerability, like you said, is is uh, uh, fodder for for a whole nother discussion. But uh, well, I, I think it. it's powerful. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to do that. You and you and I. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. Well, we are out of time, but come back and hang out with me. You know, the 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 world the world needs more people like you. So thank you for the work that you're doing and the awareness and gifts that you're giving to people so they can better support one another. This is awesome. this is being the change that we wish to see. So thank you, Dr. Guy McPherson. To learn more, please visit www.thetraumatherapistproject.com. On Twitter, Guy can be reached at Guy C. McPherson. On Facebook, Guy McPherson, PhD. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about something that has touched or will touch all of us at some point in our lives. And that is trauma. We're talking about healing those invisible wounds and new frontiers in the process. My next guests are doing just that. Terry Ann Walling and George Gerard. Terry Ann Walling is a founding partner of Purple Fire Publications and a co author with writing partner George Gerard of the newly released book Permeate and Penetrate Trauma and Reformulation Poetry. Terry Ann, who is from Saskatoon, Canada, and George, who is from San Francisco, California, first met in an online writing form and started working together on a fictional novel with protagonists that personified aspects of trauma. That collaboration fostered their exploration and theory of reformulation poetry. Welcome, Terri Ann and George. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank oh, you. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure. Let's talk about the theory of reformulation poetry because people may be scratching their heads at this moment. What is this? So reformulation poetry is a process by which individuals who can give voice to poems of trauma, they end up writing each individually one poem of trauma and then witness each other's poems through reading and through processing those poems. And then they deconstruct both poems to reform them into a singular poem um, that is essentially a metaphorical mosaic. Can you give us an example, Terri-Ann? Can you read a, a short poem from Permeate and Penetrate? 
Yes, absolutely. So um, in the book, there's actually a section that has uh, two poems of testimony, like George said. So uh, one person would do a testimony, another person would do a testimony, and then out of that, you'd have a reformulation. Uh, so a quick poem of testimony uh, I'll read to you starts and goes like this. A slight look, a crooked smile, welcome to the street where no one that was anyone watched anyone that was anyone. They needed to watch, where parents smoked and frogs were frozen in the dark, where the mean grew rapidly on the breath of little boys saying, take off your clothes, and girls would run and fall just to be pounced on and faked escapes. The pighoven man whistled and whistled and watched, a slight look, a crooked smile. So that's one testimony, and then another testimony would be taken and then reformed with those words and it does and i want to give people a visual on this the reformation process is literally cutting apart physically cutting apart the poem of two different people the poetry of two different people and then putting it back together as something else yeah so the way that uh you go about doing it is you you take the poems and reorganize them and reform them visually and the structure of that comes out as you decide to put the words where they need to go. Sometimes it could be an entire line. Sometimes it has to be broken down to a word to allow the person to not see the trauma any longer as something kind of as a negative, I guess I would say. What do you think? Yeah, and I think in the partnership, the partners who are deconstructing actually have to have a very clear understanding and hearing of one another in this kind of space of vulnerability to understand which words have the most weight and need the most addressing in the form of reconstruction. And you don't need to be a poet. You just need to be open and and willing to be vulnerable with another human to come together in order to uh, reform things that have affected you in your life to basically move you forward into into a different direction of recognition. Well, what I think is so beautiful about your work and, and, and the theory behind it is, you know, if you go with the premise that everybody has a story to tell and each one of us needs a witness mm-hmm. to our lives or perhaps many witnesses, that the act of sharing something that is uh, very, very vulnerable, that makes us feel very naked, requires a certain amount of risk, healthy risk. And a rebuilding of trust, which is what trauma recovery is about. Yes, absolutely. The need to connect and to give voice to something deep inside and to have someone be able to witness that and to form it the kind of trust that's necessary to be heard and to respond is kind of a critical aspect of this, right? Which is kind of different, I think, than normal um, literary trauma theory, where you put uh, your energy into uh, reading something that uh, someone has had occur to him. This has an added aspect of actually coming together with another human. And then in that space, being able to understand someone else's traumas are very similar in ways, the way they feel, how they are based on something that has occurred to them. So they don't have to be the same traumas. It could be something completely different. It's more a feeling that two people share when they've gone through something impactful. It's an intimacy that is created as well, right? You, the two of you came together to write about, to write, to create, co-create a fictional novel. And you mm-hmm. ended up in the exploration of that, arriving at a very different place, perhaps as another project. Yeah, well, it was calling to us, right? We were writing this novel, and in it, we heard these voices of trauma coming out. We actually could hear them very potently, and they had to be addressed. So whether we wanted to or not, we we recognized there was a need to address the voices that were coming through our fictional work. And that's where Permeate and Penetrate kind of took shape, was from this calling out of of, uh, our psyche, I guess. (laughs) I mean, there was the added aspect of, as we were writing the novel, we would um, occasionally warm up with a poem or um, be in a space where the metaphor of, of a trauma would actually start to arrive. And there was recognition from both of us at that point. And like you said, there was a certain aspect of intimacy in the, in the recognition and the safety of that. How does the poetry process work? Because many of us out there think, oh, well, I'm not a poet. I'm not a writer. I can't do that. And I think you'd argue very differently. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually go through this because that was a question some of our friends were asking too. Um, I don't write poetry or I, I don't know how to kind of 
access these wounds of trauma. There are a few ways that you can start, and a lot of it starts with conversation, sitting and starting and having a conversation with another human in a way that uh, allows you to be vulnerable. And it's kind of critical to remember that we're accessing something that's deeply embedded. So we're not looking for formalization of poetry or rhythm and rhyme or structure in that way. You're, you're accessing something that is repetitive in nature, that comes unbidden and triggered, and you're giving voice to it. And whatever the words are that come for that is what's necessary. It doesn't need structure. Yeah, these, these words, these traumas have actually penetrated your, your mind. And therefore, when you write them out, structure isn't really necessary. So you sometimes might just get a word that repeats and repeats and repeats. And that's okay. And that's mm-hmm. where you don't need to be a trained poet or trained writer in any way at all. Right. Or trained psychologist. Yeah. I think this is the beauty, the other angle of this kind of healing work, deeply healing work, is that it doesn't really cost anything. It doesn't mean that you have to go to a therapist, although one might choose to go to a therapist as a result of the work or do concurrently with therapy. But it's a way to kind of get in and start to explore territory that might have been hidden or uncomfortable mm-hmm. safely. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, you don't know what will uh, come up or what, you know, there are certain traumas that people know for sure. And there are other things that just kind of attach to you um, that you didn't realize were were such a big impact on you as you were going through them. And those are there too. And um, when those come up, it's it's actually kind of uh, interesting because you don't expect it. So you know things that you've dealt with um, that are very prominent but not those other small things that actually really affected you in your life. You also start to see how some of those threads have played out um, in subtle ways in your life where you coped in different ways, whether it was um, pressing too hard in some factor of life to um, try and control or repress, or um, you felt that you had shame for something that you didn't know. Oh. No, I am uh, really touched by this work. And originally, we started out by saying that you had not really set out to write a book of this nature, and that the book sort of called to be written through the process of you coming together in an online form, which I think is pretty amazing. (laughs) Since then, you have also begun to do workshops to introduce this theory to the public and and practice to the public. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So in the process of doing the workshop, what we're trying to do is make sure that people have a chance to engage if they so choose and to be in a space where they can um, try and address things in a safe way. So from a process standpoint, it usually starts with a warm up and, you know, very quickly when people start to Um, hear and start to give voice, uh, they end up um, accessing the wound. And from there, it just kind of flows. And Terri-Ann, maybe talk a little bit about the feedback that you've received from participants. It's been positive. People saying, you know, this has been great in order to, you know, kind of visualize and reflect on something that I hadn't and to do it in a way that's been with someone that I just met or I care about and, and I actually feel like somehow things have changed a bit for me because of this. So it's not something that's going to completely eliminate you of your traumas, but it will let you recognize them and see them and move forward in a more clear fashion. You find new meaning. Yeah. Yeah. Finding new meaning. And then also it's like if you if you take the secret out of the closet or you shine light on it, it's no longer as scary. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, there's a recognition and, and a, a real understanding of who you are as a person. It actually helps you grow, right? The bonding yeah. doing that with someone else is quite powerful because they're doing the same thing as you. Indeed. We are going to go to a break. But before we do, I want to mention that we're talking about the new book, Permeate and Penetrate, Trauma and Reformulation Poetry, with the authors Terry ann Walling and George Gerard. To learn more, please visit Purple firepublications.ca on twitter you can connect at purple fire pub and on facebook that page is purple fire 
publications. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. And we're back with Terry Ann Walling and George Gerard. We're talking about their new book, Permeate and Penetrate, Trauma and Reformulation Poetry, Healing the Invisible Wounds. So Terry Ann and George, I want to mention that the two of you came together in this online writing form, but each of you has separate lives, families, and careers that are very different from the work that you do together. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So I'm a high school teacher. And after I did my uh, university, I did my master's in English for literary trauma theory. So I've kind of been in the realm of trauma a little bit, but nothing quite like this. Um, And I have four children. Um, So it's busy. I kind of have a busy life, but this is, you know, like everyone. But this has been a, a really interesting process to meet and connect with another person that writes very similar in ways and, and thinks very similar in ways. And we, we came up with this idea. It's been kind of fascinating, to be honest with you, kind of all the, the, the work that we've done, oh, yeah. considering that we both have so many things outside of that. Yeah. Uh, my background was in psychology in college and I have a bachelor's in that and then I moved on to product management for um, Ancestry and uh, and a couple other companies and um, there's aspects of psychology but traumas and memory and how people process and deal with that has always been something I've personally been interested in. I have two kids and <laughs> a busy life just like everyone and but I've always wanted to write and that was a big part of our initial meeting and connecting. And in the exploration of the writing, you start to see um, what's not said in the writing or you see what's explicitly said. And if you can really see it, you're really just kind of make that connection. So that was a big part of this. In your experience with writing the fictional novel and then moving to this, did you find that it was easier to be working separately and together because you live in separate countries. So yeah. you, would, you would, you would come together online or, or in, in a video chat format, but it was easier maybe to dip in and out of the life, the project together. Yeah. Well, we set time apart in a, on a life to make sure that we write. And so I think what you're asking is like, it's easier to be distant and then come together to write. Yes, about yes. this subject matter in particular. Mm-hmm. Yes, in ways, and I think it's been kind of good in that way. We went to Turkey to present on this at one point, and uh, it was neat to come together and actually have that occur rather than just be separate. But the, the separate writing aspect of it has been a, a good process. Yeah, I think there's been a space um, that has kind of been creative where 
we would come in and be exclusively focused on that. At times when we were writing, we'd be in the same document, in a shared document, but working on different sections. At times we'd be working on the same section. So there was a, a kind of natural interweaving as well as connecting in, in a respectful space from yeah. there. Yeah, like a, um, a pure collaboration, really, when you're not um, in the same physical space with someone we are in the, the, the space of the internet which is an interesting force right yeah so someone typing and writing and then um words would be put in and things would be kind of played with in that regard and and it's it's really quite beautiful actually to work in that way with another person and collaborate through uh instant writing there's actually a funny story about how our title came about for the book if i can share. yes please share so we are, <laughs> do you mind if I share? Yeah, no, please. So sorry, I should have. So we were writing something, and um, Terrianne had asked her uh, my opinion on uh, something she had written, and she had used the word permeate in it. And um, given that we were in a shared document, I went into the sentence and changed the word permeate to penetrate. And I got a strong no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he actually, you know, ended up. Uh, penetrating my sentence in that regard <laughs> and changing a word without even, I guess, asking for it. And that was yeah. at the beginning of our, our process of collaborative writing in a really open, safe, authentic way where we could say, no, um, we need to really pay attention to each other right. uh, through you know this kind of forum that we're working on because it's quite different than being in physical contact with a human. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the nature of a relationship, right, there is always that dance between permeation and penetration. And I, and I mean this in the intellectual sense yes, as yes. well. You know, you, it's like how far can you go where you are, there, there are parts of you in the relationship that, that become blended mm-hmm. or overtaken. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a very delicate balance to walk. Indeed, in, indeed. Talk about the mosaic process because I think this is very, very powerful and it's hard to imagine from our discussion, but the book does such a beautiful job of explaining how to create the mosaic and what the meaning of the mosaic is. So the idea of the mosaic came from T.S. Eliot's poem, The Wasteland, where he saw the society that we live in today is fragmented. So if you could imagine your mind having all these different fragments of trauma uh, and, and so forth, we kind of suggest that, uh, we don't kind of, we do. We, we suggest that what you need to do is kind of address these fragmentations and not just let them be compiled, but actually take them and reform them into something different, a mosaic of some sort, something that has some order, some some sense to it in a way. Right. I mean, trauma itself is um, unbidden events and unbidden uh, images that return in a catastrophic, emotionally catastrophic way, right? And to be able to take the images of that and turn them into an actual narrative that has some meaning that you've made through connecting with someone else. There's a mosaic in the relationship you form with someone else, as well as a a mosaic in the actual product you create of a reformed poem. Those words themselves are the mosaic. And it becomes a physical uh, piece of work. So you actually have a a physical uh, compiled um, reconstructed (laughs) artifact. It is an artifact. I mean, it is a phys- it is a physical artifact. I mean, even just the 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 cutting up and piecing together of the two works of poetry into this third element. There, there's a line from the book that I would love to read because it 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 struck me. It and the line goes like this: How do we make a mosaic from these heaps of broken images mm-hmm. rather than letting them build into a wasteland from which we can never escape yeah yeah that's it's the question <laughs> right and and it's it's true there is some kind of feeling that you have where you feel pressure and um like compiled bits of things that you just can't address and you might not even understand why they're there and once you start sifting through them and working with another human and and feeling what happens when you start to reform and and make something new there actually is a weight that is lifted yeah 
I see this as a power, very, very powerful tool for healing. And I'm going to, I'm going to be testing this process mm-hmm. with some of my clients and I'm going to share with you what, what, what they create. But what I think the application of this is so valuable for is it's very vast, right? You've got uh, soldiers who are returning home from war, people who mm-hmm. are victims of crimes, people, you know, children who have um, survived, you know, horrible ordeals and ways in which to slowly um, suss out or tease out the trauma and release it. I see this as being a very gentle and connected way of doing so. Yes. Yeah, and that's what we, we have tried to do as we wrote this, is to be really aware of other humans and how they will be um, also reading it. So the book itself kind of is gently allowing people to see that too. It's also really emphasizing the space of giving it a try and understanding that it's not a, a catch-all fix, it's a process that is ongoing, but um, should try and address. And if it doesn't address in the moment or for whatever reason, then that doesn't mean that there was something wrong done or there was a failing on the part of each person. It's, it's a human process of trying to find meaning and um, to respond to what pains and wounds we have inside of us. And any human in theory could do that. Yeah. And, and look at another person and say, hey, I, I know. And you can feel it. We are almost out of time, and I'd love for you to read one of the reformed pieces of poetry before we go. Yes, so this is one of the reformulations that um, was a personal one, and I'm just going to read it. Want buds like a powerful sun. I feel the heavy and somewhat sweet air. Where with this boy things are this way. There is an innocence of youth, I mean, drops... I feel and I see you near me like a spirit guide. I suppose I'm barely this, blind, sold, and corpsified bitter. What? No, don't sell them. Fingers trace the mind, chest to chest, peach breast next to you, an inner unleashed howl I feel. I'm the light of this excitement. Oh boy, eat, for that is the way of need. Put the highest path before me. And I will continue forward. What, me, ashamed of the small room, large room, brown carpet, all rooms, the boy, money, crooked, gnarled toy? No, no. I look up into thoughts only, sealed in pen, polish the vault. But this way requires a spirit guide formed in the rocks, pressure points, the darkness, and locked away in unity. I am this way no longer blind. So that's two poems, two poems put together into one. So that's why uh, there's a little bit of length. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's beautiful, and I I invite listeners to further explore "Permeate and Penetrate" by Terry Ann Walling and George Gerard. To learn more, please visit purplefirepublications.ca, on Twitter at purplefirepub, and on Facebook, purplefirepublications. Thank you, Terry Ann and George, for being with me today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, oh, it's a pleasure. <laughs> and, uh, and, and to share the work. The work, once again, is a collaboration between Terry Ann Walling and George Gerard, exploring reformulation poetry theory for wellness, wholeness, and healing. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Guy McPherson, Terry Ann Walling, and George Gerard, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. 
Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.